Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Let us go into the house of the Lord. Not here on Wednesday, although I was talking to Aaron Brown this morning. It's probably worse out there right now than what it had been Wednesday by the time we left uh, from it just starting. And so, but uh, just trying to be mindful in such a things. I hope that you took advantage of your Connect paper online and incorporated that into your family time on Wednesday night. Amen. But here we are again in the house of the Lord. And we're glad to be here. Amen. Today in God's house. And before I get uh, forget, I don't want to forget. And that's the reason I'm going to mention it now. Uh, the board of trustees will meet over here in room number three. If we can, after service, I got uh, those who were here at our business meeting. know uh, that we got quotes and stuff for all the floor and stuff back there and maybe painting walls and such too. I got all those quotes in and just want to share them with you guys and see what kind of come to a decision about going forward and getting all that taken care of. What that means is that floor is not going to look the same, hopefully, before the end of this month's over. Amen. And so we're excited about that. And again, that's largely due to the fact uh, that uh, a couple that used to come to this church years ago, they both passed away, but they put the church, uh, either the church I pastored or a church of my choosing, so on and so forth, uh, in their will and monies came to this church as a result of that and uh, so that's the reason why this is able to be done because we have maybe uh, around 1500 on phase two to be able to go back there but that's a kind of drop in the water and what's needed for that back there amen so we thank the lord amen with that being said let me tell you and i'm, I'm not trying to make a a, a, a commercial here but uh, if you ever there's people that take out policies. I'm telling you this just for information. There's people that take out life insurance policies just as a side note to put the church as the beneficiary so that when they die, it's kind of like their final blessing for a church. And so that's just something to think about. Amen. Uh, your legacy will live on through and there as well through materials and stuff that's bought for uh, this endeavor and it'd be a great help to the church. So that's just something to think about. Amen. Matthew chapter number nine today. Matthew chapter number 9 and verse number 14 and 15 here today. Amen. And I hope everybody was careful as you walked in and as you depart and walk out. We're hoping that as the temperature raises maybe a little bit today, they'll help uh, with things. I'm t- and the reason why we put that online, I came here yesterday and I parked in the, in the, uh, the, the, the volunteer of the month spot. And I was put my left foot out of my truck, didn't even have my right one over there, and I found myself on the ground that quick. And I just even had to take inventory what even just happened to me in that moment. I hit my sidestep on the way down, went bump, bump. And so I told Brother Alex, I said, we might just want to put something up just because it's just easy. Just, you know, this is what we do. We put a foot out and we just go. Well, <laughs> I went and it wasn't forward. <laughs> it was down. I'm sure if you was all here, you would have laughed or anything along those lines. But nonetheless, Matthew chapter number 9, verses 14 and 15 here today. The Bible says, Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast oft, 
but thy disciples fast not. Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and they shall, and then shall they fast. I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about fasting. Uh, every year, whenever I approach my year before uh, the new year comes, I, I look at all of the books I haven't read, and uh, which is a lot. And uh, but as I look at them, I do what I call if anybody would ask me, I do purposeful reading. And that means in the beginning of the year, I usually try to read a book on prayer or fasting or Bible reading, uh, kind of gearing in the new year. Uh, I read books that are along fatherhood leading up to Father's Day, mother thing. Lead, I try to read purposefully things along the resurrection leading up to Easter. So uh, that's how I try to organize my year whenever it comes to reading. So I read a book this year that uh, deeply a chapter in particular just hit my spirit. And I, 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 this lesson kind of has just come up out of that. Amen. This morning. So I want to talk to us about fasting today. That's the last thing anybody probably wants to hear about right now as we're headed toward lunchtime. Amen. But let's talk about it today. Fasting the hunger of the soul is what I entitled this today. Fasting the hunger of the soul. Father, we come to you this morning. We're so grateful today for another opportunity to be in your house. God, we're thankful, Lord, that through, Lord, this massive storm, that has happened over the past several days, God, that we are able to keep electricity around here. We're grateful for that, God, and be able to come back at this time, Lord Jesus, to worship and serve and magnify the King of kings and the Lord of lords today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for meeting us here, and we will not fail to thank you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning to fast, to fast, to fast. Amen. Uh, years ago, and uh, people may still hold them to this day, years ago, uh, there were people in the church that had regular fast days throughout the week that they laid aside time uh, of meal and such uh, to turn their direction of their attention to the Lord. And primarily to fast means to cover the mouth or to abstain from food. I'll go a little step further. It is to abstain uh, from appeasing our appetite and when I say it like that that can cover a variety of things because that may not just pertain to food that can pertain to things that we desire or things that we want to abstain from them so to fast may not just be fasting breakfast and lunch and dinner it may be maybe you are a chronic uh, cocaholic or, or whatever your beverage may be, and so it may be fasting that, or it may be fasting uh, caffeinated sweet tea, whatever it may be, just abstaining from something that you had an appetite for. And throughout Scripture, this has been, this has been the rule of thumb. In Scripture, there have been people that have fasted for part of a day. We find people fasting for one day. We find people in Scripture fasting for three days. One account shows seven days. Another place in Scripture, 10 days. Daniel's fast was 21 days, right? Even there's 40 days when we consider the Lord of his temptation of the wilderness. He's fasted for 40 days and 40 nights uh, in the wilderness. When we think of Moses up on the Mount of God, it portrays that he fasted those 40 days that he was up on the mountain. So there's all these different episodes of different time frames of people fasting. Sometimes they just fasted uh, food other times food and water uh, sometimes like in the Daniel fast and people do Daniel fast sometimes or in Daniel 
one, whenever he fasted for 10 days, uh, he was just eating pulse and vegetables and water for 10 days. I'm sure that was interesting. Amen. Nonetheless, in the Old Testament, there was a certain fast day that was set aside in particular, one that was prescribed for all the Jews, and that was on the Day of Atonement. On this day, the people, as it's described in the Scripture, Leviticus 23, 27, the people were to afflict their souls. They were to afflict their soul. Afflicting their soul was known as Fasting. We see that in Isaiah 58 and 5. There's a little parallelism. God's scripture does this. He'll state something. He'll state something very similarly to this first sentence. And you find out what the parallel is. For instance, in Isaiah 58 and 5, the question is, is it such a fast that I have chosen? The parallel phrase to that, he follows up with a day for a man to afflict his soul. And so we see that Fasting is considering affliction, if you will, of the soul. And so people today, and I almost sensed it when I said it this morning, cringe when they hear the word fast. Right? Uh, and perhaps we would even make it more counterproductive in the church if we would call we're going to take a few days of affliction. <laughs> Although that's probably what we'd really want to call it. But instead of asking everybody to fast, I'm not going to ask you to take a day of affliction, but fasting is biblical. When we read in the chapter of Matthew 5 concerning the Beatitudes, it's listed right among with all the others. Like whenever Jesus said, when you give alms, you do it like such and such. Or when you pray, say, our Father, which, art, which thou art in heaven. And he says, and when you fast. So right there in Matthew chapter number 5, those three things were all things that it wasn't if you do it. It's not if you pray or if you give or if you fast, it's when you do. So it was definitely something that the Lord had a expectation of concerning his people. And so by the time of the New Testament, the Pharisees, though, as they did many things, took different spiritual disciplines of God, prayer, giving. And fasting. We see this in Matthew 5 as well. And they took it and they made it really kind of a legal bondage. And they had the wrong motive and attitude about it. You'll remember that the Bible talks about the Pharisee. He says, I'm, I'm glad that I'm not like this sinner. He said, I fast twice a, a week. He's beaten. He's, he's making his prayers loud publicly in the place so he would be seen and known. He's giving, you know, to be seen before men. And so they really took everything that the Lord asked and required. That was a basis of us keeping relationship with God and just kind of impurified it all had the wrong motive behind it and made it really type of a legal bondage and so the proud Pharisee again he, he announced as loud as he could to anybody that was in earshot of the public affair he said you know I uh, I fast twice a week well Isaiah tells us when you fast you're to wash your face and anoint your head in other words you're not supposed to uh, lend yourself to anybody else as though you are fasting you're not supposed to have a grimace on your face and walk around so someone asks what's wrong with you and you say, well, I'm fasting today. He said, no, you wash your face, you anoint your head, he says, and you go about your business because this is unto the Lord. And traditionally, Jews did fast twice a week. Typically, what would be our Monday and our Thursday, they would fast twice a week. And so the Pharisees, since they kind of uh, contaminated all these things, the Lord meant just to hone a relationship with him. We understand that the Pharisees, they were, they were the keepers of the law, you know, to the best of their ability. They wanted to do what they could do to keep the, the law. And they boasted in the fact that 
what the law, what parts of the law they did keep. They're going to boast about it, be proud about it. And so their, their relationship with God, if you want to call it that, was predominantly law-driven. They had a law-driven religion. But what Christ encouraged, even in the New Testament, is that we would have a relationship-driven experience. Amen. Even in our day to day, our 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 relationship or our Christianity should be a relationship driven experience. And so in Matthew nine, in our text this morning, Jesus, consequently, if you read the few verses before this, he has just finished eating. He ate with his disciples Uh, as he was eating. There were some publicans and sinners that came and sat down with the Lord as they were eating and he ate with them. And so there's the Pharisees, you know, they got the rule book out and they're watching everything that everybody's doing. They're particularly watching Jesus because they want to find him doing something he shouldn't be doing because they don't care for him, uh, so on and so forth. And so they begin to scold the Lord Jesus and his disciples. He says, because why in the world are you eating with such company, such as publican and sinners? Why are you doing that? And Jesus retorted. He said, well, I've come for the sick. He said, it's not the whole that's in need of a physician. It's those that are sick. It's those that are lost. I came to seek and save that which was lost. And so I've come for them. And so then... Then, after the Pharisees have said this, the disciples of John, there was a transfer predominantly when Jesus came of those that followed John to start following Jesus Christ, but there were some that kind of held on with following John. And so the disciples of John followed up all of this by asking, why is it that your disciples do not fast do not fast as oft as the Pharisees. So here we are. We're pinning two people against one of the Pharisees. We know they fast twice a week. We've heard them even say it, you know. And so why, did that, why don't the disciples of the Lord, why don't they fast as often as the Pharisees fast? And so that was their question. And so Jesus responded to their question. And he told them that the disciples did not mourn, or if you will, fast, because he, Jesus Christ, He's relating himself to being the bridegroom, which he is. He's the bridegroom that we're waiting to come back for his bride, the church, that Corinthians describes the church as the bride. He says, because the bridegroom is with them. I'm here. I'm here right now. Anytime the bridegroom's around and the bride's there, man, it's a time of celebration. You know, you, you don't find a bunch of people going to a wedding morning and just like, oh, man. No, it's a time of celebration, right? It's a happy occasion. He says they, they're not mourning. They're not fasting because the bridegroom is here. Here I am. He says, but there will be a day that's coming soon. There'll be a day coming soon that they will fast and they will mourn because they'll be longing for the bridegroom's return. And so right here in this passage, Jesus is connecting the fasting of his disciples. Can I say the fasting of Christians with the longing for their return of their bridegroom. So fasting in many regards is more than just skipping a meal or abstaining from something that we enjoy. Fasting is an illustration in our life that we hunger for and we long for something that's beyond this world. We're waiting for the coming of our king, the coming of our bridegroom. We're abstaining from earthly appetites because our appetite is set on something beyond the temporary. Amen. 
Amen. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here today. And as I read this, I wrote in my book, I said, this is very moving to me. Amen. Because it kind of pricked my heart and my soul. Because to see in our own Christian lives, if there is a lack of fasting or going to the fact of fasting, what that tells us should be this. We have become comfortable with getting our fulfillment right here. We become comfortable with getting our fulfillment with the everyday world and pleasures of the world in entertainment of the world, extracurricular things of the world. Amen. The bride fasts whenever the bridegroom's away because she's longing for him. She, she says nothing here can satisfy. The times. It is the hunger of the soul for the Lord. Amen. There are many, there's several Old Testament fasts that were associated with with grief, a lot of Old Testament fasts that are associated with mourning, people that humbly seeking the Lord. For instance, in 1 Samuel 31 and verse 13, the Bible says they took their bones. The bones it's speaking about is the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons that, that, that had been killed on Mount Gilboa. Some had taken them and, and kind of pinned and nailed them to the wall of a city. The Bible says these people come and took took their bones, the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons, and that they buried them under a tree at Jabesh. And the Bible says, and they fasted seven days. And so their fasting is in conjunction with the separation now, get it? The separation now of them from someone they love. They fasted for seven days. The Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 1 and verse number 12, and they, again, this is David and all the men that was with David, that whenever they found out about Saul and Jonathan in particular that, that were slain on Mount Gilboa, the Bible says, and they mourned and wept and fasted until even for Saul and for Jonathan, his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they were fallen by the sword. Again, these people were grieving. These people were mourning the loss of Saul and Jonathan. These two great warriors were no longer with them. The Bible even says, how have the mighty fallen and their weapons of war perished? These people are no longer with them. And so they are fasting, showing their desire to have them back. They are fasting, amen, because nothing else could replace or satisfy this horrendous loss in their life. And so they're fasting for this longing that they have in their, their soul. So fasting signifies, if you will today, it signifies a hunger for something that's just beyond the regular. It's, it's fasting because you want something beyond the norm. Amen. And the lack of the disciples in fasting really goes all the way back to the beginning. It goes all the way back to the beginning. Fasting, in many regards, of what you're longing for goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Because simply, Adam and Eve ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil they ate of that when they should have been fasting that. Is everybody okay? I know there's a lot of distracting things going on right now. All right, people coming and going, what's going on? They, 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 they ate of the tree when they should have fasted the tree. And as a result, Adam and Eve traded fellowship with the Lord for eating of the tree. Amen. So 
in like manner, fasting reverses this. Had they stayed remaining separate and fasting the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they would have maintained fellowship and that longing of fellowship and relationship with the Lord. That being their preference. The Bible says in Daniel 9 and verse 3, and I'm reading this from the New American Standard Bible. Daniel says, I like this. He says, so I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. He said, whenever we pray, whenever we fast, whenever we make, whenever we do these spiritual disciplines into the Lord, what we are doing is giving our attention unto the Lord. Amen. Now here's something interesting. The counterpart in many regards to fasting is the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. The Bible speaks that you eat of the bread, you drink the fruit of the vine, and in doing so, it may seem a little pe- peculiar that both the, refa- the refraining from food and then also eating bread and drinking the fruit of the vine would be linked in a certain way. But they are. Just bear with me here for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 24. This is where it speaks in uh, Corinthians concerning the concept of communion. Amen. We see it also in John. We see it in the Old Testament displayed through the Passover meal in the book of Exodus. But here it is played out in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 24. And when he had given thanks, speaking of Jesus, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me for as oft as ye eat the bread and drink this cup ye do shew the lord's death till he come and so as we taught you've heard me teach this several times usually in the month of january as oft as we as oft as we do communion the the mandate of scripture is we do it in remembrance of jesus christ we do it and when we do it we are illustrating the death of the lord jesus at calvary for all humanity amen we're showing the breaking of the bread which is the breaking of the body and the blood of the New Testament, which was the blood that was shed for you and I for our sin and our sickness. We are, if you will, remembering the death of the Lord Jesus Christ until he returns. That's what communion is about. Remembering Jesus's body that was broken, his blood that was shed. We're remembering that. And so remembering Jesus Christ as the body allows us to appreciate the fact that our great God, who is spirit, manifested himself in the flesh. A body was provided for him. Amen. But whenever we recall Christ and him crucified, it just seals the deal of how blood was shed and blood was made accessible to all of mankind because of the cross. And so communion, the Lord's Supper, keeps us connected to Jesus' presence. It keeps us connected to Jesus' purpose for coming to the earth. It makes us remember what he did for us when he was here. Amen? As a matter of fact, the verb to remember in Corinthians, it encompasses more than just remembering the facts of body and remembering the fact of blood. It also encompasses a response of worship and gratitude for what God has done. So when we remember, it it excites, it, 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 it promotes, 
provokes it provokes something in us to worship and thank him for what he did while he was here and so as I eat those things when I take communion I, I remember my guilt I remember my shame I remember my sin but in remembering all that I remember he took all of that and he affixed it to the tree of Calvary by being my substitute amen and so I recall what Jesus did as he was here on the earth. And so when I take communion, I'm looking backward. But when I fast and I abstain from food or I abstain from whatever it is, I'm not looking backward in that moment. I'm looking forward because I'm anticipating the day of the return of that one that died on Calvary. I'm looking forward and my life is longing and my soul is longing. Amen. Because right now there's a separation. Right now he's not in flesh and blood walking among me, but there'll become a day someday. Oh, what singing. Oh, what shouting. Oh, that happy morning when we all shall rise. Oh, what glory. Hallelujah. When we, oh, you hear what I'm saying? There's coming a day, but until that gap is bridged, I'm in a state of longing. And so from time to time, I abstain from the things of this earth because my appetite is settled on things of heaven. Amen. So yeah, we're going to practice communion because we want to remember what the Lord done for us. We're going to practice communion because that was their way, if you will, of remembering Christ's first coming. But the purpose, the purpose of his broken body and his shed blood, we're going to remember all that. But when I fast, I'm looking forward to his second coming. (laughs) I've had, I don't know, just been one of those weeks. I've had a lot of those old second coming songs in my head. I was thinking about that song that, uh, Brother Sizemore, and it may, may even been Carrie. I can't remember all of them that was involved in it. it. Says, I think it was an old mural Ewing song. He says, "What? What is that I hear? Is it the sound of the trumpet?" Man, just all these songs, Amen. And so whenever we, when whenever we look backward. Amen. And we do that. We take time. We pause usually at least once in a year to do that. We also need to take time to look forward. I'm thankful for his sacrifice. I'm thankful for his coming. But it's not over. It's not finished. He is coming again. And almost for every verse you could find concerning his first coming, you can find two that talks about his his second coming. If the prophets of old could belabor scripture with verses about that day when Messiah shall come and the lame shall leap and all of that, then honey, I would like to put a few pins to page and say about when he's going to come in my hour, when he's going to come in my generation. And so fasting is a normal response in essence for them who are missing the bridegroom. Amen. Bible says in Luke 18, and I'm reading this from the Message Bible, but in Luke 18, verses 6 through 8, then the master said, do you hear what the judge, it's a parabolic saying that he has here, do you hear what that judge, corrupt as he is, is saying? So what makes you think God won't step in and work justice for his chosen people who continue to cry out for help? Won't he stick up for them? 
I assure you he will. He won't not drag his feet. But how much of that kind of persistent faith will the Son of Man find on earth when he returns? This is a response really to a parable that was given to Scripture. The parable was of a widow who come with her consistent plea to a judge, a plea for help, a plea for aid, and she wearied the judge out. Uh, It wasn't that she just asked once. She asked until she received. And so she came with her plea and asked for help over and over. And finally, the Scripture portrays that the judge awarded her her desire because of her continual confidence night and day persistently and consistently and so the scripture then relates to us the idea that if a unjust judge can respond like that to a woman that is wearying him with her desire night and day then how much more can our just judge God respond when people night and day are continually longing Amen. Whenever they are crying out for help night and day, as the King James has it, they're crying day and night, night and day. The Bible said that he will speedily, he will speedily come. But the question that the Lord poses is this. How much of that persistent faith will I find when I return? How many will still be crying? How many will still be longing? How many will still be desiring for me to come and satisfy and content them? or will they be content where they are will they be alright with the house and the three cars and the six children and will they be alright with their mode of income to the place that whether it comes or not no big deal or will they be saying all of this is fine and well but there's something better just beyond the horizon there's something yeah. hallelujah the widow cried night and day to be avenged of her adversary. She desired relief. She desired something different than what she had. Listen, I understand. Please don't misunderstand me. We just did Philippians not long ago. Paul said in whatever state I am, therewith to be content. And so you got to find a certain measure of contentment and how to live life here below. But with that contentment, it should never overshadow your desire. That if he come today, it's not going to break my heart. If he come today, I'm really not lost anything. Amen. I mean, if, if, if the Lord gave an option, he showed up like, says, well, you, you'd stay here if you want or you can go. And I'm like, well, you know what? I think I'll stay here. I got a lot of stuff that I wanted to do today. No, thank you. No, thank you. Because I've been crying night and day. Come soon. Lord Jesus, amen. He says, well, I find that type of, well, I find that type of faith on the earth. John Piper says it like this. He said, the most universal absence of regular fasting for the Lord's return is a witness to our satisfaction with the presence of the world and the absence of the Lord. That's a powerful statement. Because when we turn from the things we typically derive nourishment, satisfaction, and enjoyment from, and fast, again, we're illustrating there's something that we desire more. Let me, let me put it like this, just common thing. Let's talk about hostess cakes. Okay? Brand. If you like a hostess, if you, if you, if you refuse a hostess ding-dong, some of you probably like them, but if you refuse that and take a Twinkie instead, You've shown your preference for one above the other. 
or at least showing the indication for what you're presently wanting. Because you'll reach and choose for what you desire, for what you want. Luke 18 depicts that Christ will come speedily and not delay long in his coming for them who cry for him. That's the, that's the, that's the connection. For them who cry for him day and night. For them that long for him and want something different than what they presently have. Their present circumstances, their present surroundings. And so the cry all throughout New Testament scripture, the New Testament church was this, was come Lord Jesus. That was the cry of the New Testament saints. Come, Lord Jesus. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 22, ending up here, the first book of Corinthians in this particular chapter, the apostle Paul writes, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, and we'll look at that, Maranatha. That's not English, okay? I mean, it's in our English Bibles, but it's not English. Let him be anathema, Maranatha. Well, Paul's closing out the first letter to the Corinthians, and he is addressing some who had said, this was their words, they spoke as though Jesus Christ was accursed. That he, he was the cursed one. They spoke against him. And he said there were going to be some in Corinth, in the city of Corinth, as in every city or generation, said there are some that are anti-Christ. There are some that are against, that's all anti means, they're against Christ, they're anti-Christ. And so therefore he predicts that. He says, if a man loves not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. Now, anathema is a Greek word found among the Greek New Testament, and it means accursed. It means devoted to destruction. Paul's saying, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be devoted for and to destruction. Because if we love not the Lord, then we're the accursed ones. We're the ones that's devoted to destruction. But let me pause and say, not loving the Lord may simply be shown by loving other things more than the Lord. Someone say amen. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus told Satan in the wilderness in his temptation. We read of it in, in, in I think it's Matthew 4 and Luke 4. Uh, it's, it's in the Gospels there, and it's always the fourth chapter in both of them. But anyway, he told Satan in the wilderness. It's Matthew 4, I know for sure. He says, thou shalt, thou shalt worship. This is what he told Satan. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. According to him... Jesus said, this is what was written, for it is written, thou shalt, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And so we can see that this idea or concept, it comes from Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 10. For instance, in Deuteronomy 10 and verse 20, the Bible says that thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, and him shalt thou serve, and to him shalt thou cleave, and swear by his name in other words you're going to cleave to him you're going to love him you're going to you're going to serve him using jesus's words you're going to worship him right all of these things if you love the lord if you have a tendency or a preference for the lord he's going to be the one he's going to be the apple of your eye he's going to be the the the, the focus of your crosshairs so to speak he's going to be the one if you truly love him he'll be the one you serve the one you worship amen he says, and so if you don't love the Lord, you're cursed. 
If you don't love the Lord, you're devoted. That's a powerful word. That means you're set aside, consecrated for destruction. But then he says, anathema maranatha. Now maranatha's not Greek. Maranatha really isn't having anything to do with the anathema. Maranatha is a transliteration of an Aramic word that's found here in our Greek New Testament, which means one of two things. Either our Lord has come or our Lord come. Hallelujah. And so as Paul's thinking about all these things and he's wrapping up his book, he's saying, if you don't love the Lord, you're destined for destruction. If you don't love the Lord, you're cursed. But on the other side of things, he's saying to all of the believers and himself, oh Lord, come. As a matter of fact, Maranatha was a buzzword among the New Testament believers of the early church. They used the word, this Aramaic word, Maranatha, almost like a password among Christians. If they met another fellow Christian, the word would be, it's kind of like code, Maranatha. And if the other person understood what they were saying, because a lot of people today are speaking a Greek language. They're, they're under what's called the Hellenization. And the Greeks have kind of just overtook and everybody's adopting their language. And so Aramaic was kind of fallen by the wayside. And so when they found someone, if they said Maranatha, that person knew they were saying, come Lord Jesus. Oh Lord, come. And it was like a password among them, whether or not they had found a believer and a lover of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a language that the heathens and the haters and the accused could not or at least most not would understand but those that were looking for his coming. Oh, those that were longing, those that were hungering were saying, come Lord, come Lord, come. Whoa. <laughs> so those that didn't know the Lord Devoted to destruction. Those who did, oh Lord, come. Oh Lord, come. Because it was desire of the Lord's people for him to return. It was desire of the early church for him to come and gather his people. And you know why I believe it was such a great desire for them, even probably more so than some of us now? It's because it wasn't too far removed that he had just left them from his flesh. It wasn't too far removed from them. They had just experienced, amen, the lame walking and the blind eye being open and Pentecost fire falling in Jerusalem. And because of that little bit of distance, they can still remember what their mama and their daddy and their grandma and their grandpa said about when he walked among them in shoe leather and they're saying come Lord Jesus we want that we want to experience that can I tell you there's been a lot of years that go by but the legitimacy of his coming has not changed Peter said people will rise in that day and say this has been talked about from the beginning of time he said but don't you dare give ear to those scoffers don't you dare give ear to their persuasion and saying it's all fake the Lord's return is nigh even at hand. Amen. They craved his presence. They craved his physical return. And one of the ways in which they signified that was by fasting. They abstained from the pleasures of this life as they hungered for the everlasting joy of another life. It was a testament for them that these earthly things don't satisfy me. Let me tell you today, we've become too satisfied. Again, I understand the line of contentment, but we become too satisfied with earthly things. 
with earthly things. All of this, Peter said, fire is going to come and it's all going to dissolve by fire. The elements themselves, the very elements themselves are going to melt. So if you hold on to this, you're holding on to something itself that is deemed for. You don't have anything when it's all said and done. But whenever you lay your treasures up above, moth does not corrupt and rust does not destroy. Hallelujah. So they would fast for the coming. We see this illustrated in New Testament scripture. Whenever the young child Jesus, just maybe a little over a month old, the Bible says that after Mary's purification, she had to purify herself after having a boy to stay clean and stay away from the tabernacle for so many days before she could go with the child Jesus. And so after her purification, she went to the temple. And whenever they went to the temple, Sister Margaret, the Bible says that they were met particularly by two elders in particular, one by the name of Simeon and the other one by the name of Anna. And again, God's people to fast, they, they wait for his coming. It is not peculiar in the scripture. Amen. The saints of old fasted for Jesus's first coming, and they did it as they were waiting for the Messiah. Amen. To come. Amen. In that first coming, the precedent was set even here with Simeon and Anna waiting for one that they desired to come. The Bible says in Luke chapter 2 and verse 36, and there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, so she's, she's in years, and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity, and she was a widow of about four score, score is 20 years, four score and four years, 84 years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant, this is the mode of Jesus being brought by his parents to the temple. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Israel. And so these two elders, I didn't read of Simeon's account, but Simeon and Anna are found in the temple as Jesus, as a very young child, just over a month old, is being brought by his parents to do for him, as the Bible says, after the custom of the law. They had to bring a certain gift to the tabernacle because he had been born and say they were to do as the custom of the law. And when they first meet Simeon, who was a man, elderly in his spirit, the spirit had already instructed Simeon, had already talked to him and told him, Simeon, you're not going to die until you see the Lord's Christ. You're not going to die until you see the Lord's uh, anointed. Christ also means Messiah. You're not going to die until you see the Lord's. Everything that all the old prophets have been longing for, your eyes are going to see. And so Simeon, the Bible says, when he laid his eyes upon that child, he took that child in his arms and he began to bless God because he says he had seen his salvation. Woo! What's Jesus mean? Huh? Jehovah. 
or Yahweh saves. He had seen his salvation. And so likewise, whenever Anna lays eyes on that Christ child, Jesus Christ, she gave thanks also unto the Lord and spoke to all who would hear her how Jesus was for the redemption or the buying back, the redeeming of Israel. And the Bible says that Anna had served night and day with fastings and prayers in the temple. If I may, she cried out. She was the persistent widow, if you will, crying out night and day. She was dissatisfied with life without. Without an earthly husband? Absolutely, she's a widow. Perhaps more so without her heavenly husband. Oh, hallelujah. I'm just going to read this to you and share this with you. And please, I ain't going to hold you much longer, but long enough. I ask you today, how does our situation, this is John Piper, this isn't me, but how does our situation compare to Anna's? Her hopes were based on the promises of God like ours are. But oh, how much more we have seen than she had seen. How much more of the Messiah we know and can hope for. She had never seen the years of compassion and power as we have. Because remember, she's seen, she's talking about the first time he came. She doesn't have all the recollection of his life and ministry on the earth. She has no experience of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. She never heard the words of authority and wisdom and love as we have. She never saw the blind receive their sight and the lame walk, the lepers cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead raised and the poor evangelized the way that Jesus did. She never saw him consecrate himself in Gethsemane or be crucified on Mount Calvary. She never heard the merciful words, today you will be with me in paradise or the triumphant words of it is finished that came from the cross. She never saw him risen and from the dead triumphant over sin and hell and yet from what she knew which was little compared to what we know in the Old Testament she yearned for him she hungered for him she longed for him day and night with fastings and prayers waiting for the redemption of Israel and can I tell you this morning that our experience compared to Anna's it eclipses hers we've been baptized in his name we've been filled with the gift of the Holy Holy Ghost. We have felt the power of his spirit inside of our lives. He's moving in. We look back to the earthly ministry and the actions of the Lord and all she had was a hope and a dream of what some prophet said. But we've lived that hope and we lived that dream and yet she longed and hungered and thirsted for God. We should have a greater hunger. We should have a greater thirst. We should have a greater look. She had a prophecy, Sister Margaret, but we have the product of that prophecy and a future promise of his return. She longed for a vision, what she hoped might be. And yet we're reaching for the return of the reality of what we know he was. So the question is this. Shall we long for him less than Anna longed for him in his first coming? It was her preoccupation day and night. No wonder the Apostle Paul said, 
And this, this is, again, this is just, don't read more into the Scripture than what's given in Scripture, okay? Perhaps that's why the Apostle Paul said, and you can read this in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 32 through 35. The Apostle Paul said, them who are unmarried, this is what he says, them who are unmarried care for the things that belong to the Lord. That's what he said. It's in your Bibles. How they may please the Lord, but the married care for the things of the world and how they may please their wife and the other places it says their husband, how they may please their spouse. And listen, Paul wasn't against marriage. He wrote a lot about it. He just wanted people to realize, listen to me, you hearing me? He just wanted people to realize that any earthly pleasure, any earthly pleasure, even who we're married to, has the potential of pulling people away from some things of God. He wanted all to attend upon the Lord without distraction. That's the way it's phrased in the scripture. He wanted all to attend upon the Lord without scratch. Because what happens, I get married, yeah, I have a wife to care for then. I get a house, I got a house to care for. I get more cars than I have right now, guess what? They got to be cared for. If I get a boat, it's got to be cared for. If I get a trailer, it's got to be paid. It's got to be cared for. If I get larger acreage, it's got to be cared for. See, we think we possess things, but in reality, things possess us. But Fred, if I get a business, I got, I got to attend to it. Listen, that's not me doing a shot against Fred. That's just the fact of the matter. Whatever you have, you got to attend to it. It takes a piece and part of your life and attention. Amen. So I'm not telling someone to... You know, bear the flag of singleness all your life. All I'm telling you is this. Anything you invite into your life is going to be at war with any attention you're going to give to God. Well, it's in your Bible, 2 Corinthians 7. Just read the whole thing. But verses 32 through 35, it's right there. It's right there. Paul's just kind of underscoring. It all really comes down to what you're hungry for. There's going to be things that's going to be asking for withdrawals from your life going to be asking for withdrawals but you have the power to say not now or not today or maybe for some of them not ever because what happens when all these other things have withdrawn from your life and something needful comes along needing to make a withdrawal and there's nothing there because everything else is already soaked up sopped up you know what comes across your account Deficient funds. Those people that would get themselves in financial trouble. And, hey, bro, I'm get, can the church help me pay my bills? <laughs> I was, I, we got new phone system here. Uh, got some new phones because the other one got struck one time by lightning. Just, and it'd been forever. We needed to get a new phone for an answer machine. And where we got the internet changed over, I finally found some phones and got new phones. And so we was getting all together, and I had to record, you know, the message on there and check to make sure it worked and learned how it worked. So I just about, Sister, Sister, Sister Mason's probably listening to me right now in that office. I didn't save it. She says, I wish you did. But I called the church, and I said, Brother McGee, I said, this is Buford. Can you help me with my electric bill? Because the price of cigarettes has got so high, I just can't pay it any. What is that? That's priorities. You become deficient because you were liberal in areas that stole away from that which was important. 
Same things happen in our walk with God. We'll allow things to clock in and clock out when the needful thing is I'm going to look to the heels from what cometh my help, for my help cometh from the Lord. In essence, fasting deprives us of fulfilling an earthly desire with just the basic old earthly things. What fasting does is allows us to unclutter our lives for a moment. Unclutter our lives for a moment to the place. Because here's the thing. You know what I believe? Every Christian sitting in the sound of my voice has a longing and a spiritual desire for heaven. But things. Life. Come in like bags that sit in your garage that you forgot what was in the bag. They come in and they come over top that spiritual desire. And there's some dormant, latent desire that is cluttered by things. You know what fasting does? It says this bag don't matter. That goes to the goodwill. That one doesn't matter. That can go to the trash until it unveils the desire that's been there all along but it's just been cluttered up by all of life. Amen. Amen. If you stand with me this morning. Fasting, the hunger of the soul. So we could, and we could, and we have in the past stood up and say, you know, there's been times in the past this church has done seven day fast. You started out with your juice and your water. The second day you went to your toast. The third day you had nothing but water. Right? Fourth day nothing. Fifth day nothing. Sixth day you started back in with your toast. Seventh day you came back with your juice. We've done that. We've called that. And people participated, and that's great. And that's great to participate because your pastor said, hey, this is what we're going to do. Let's do it. But let me tell you what even trumps that one. When no one said anything and no one knows. That you push back some things because you're like, this is unsatisfactory compared to what I'm waiting for. Something that's driven by a longing and a yearning beyond the here and the now. We bow our heads all across this place today. All across this place today. I'm asking us this morning just to evaluate our lives. I'm asking us this morning just to evaluate our lives. And if you see some things that are laying around life, if you see some things that are making more withdrawals than what they are worth from your life, and by virtue of that are are, are skimping, if you will, on the withdrawal that really matters, heavenly things, spiritual things, righteous things, godly things, then it might be time just to enter into a place of fast. However that may look, if it's food, if it's a certain thing, if it's a certain pleasure or entertainment, just lay that aside. Why? Why, Brother McGee? For the purpose of just decluttering life for a moment. For the purpose of decluttering life and setting things aside so that you might just unveil a deep-seated desire and latent dormant desire for God, for heaven. The desire that you had that drove you to be filled with the Spirit. Amen. And want the Lord in your life just to unearth that all over again, maybe through a discipline of fasting and prayer and scripture reading amen to get back to that point oh I thirst for you I'm in a dry and a weary land but Lord I thirst for you and if Anna of old knowing less experiencing less than I could have such a hunger that would drive her to
to a place of day and night, then what kind of hunger and desire could be birthed, could be nurtured in my own personal life? Can we raise our hands as our eyes are closed? Can we begin to speak to the Lord today? God, I want my preference, Lord, to be you. God, I don't want anything to distract me from what is vital, from what is important, from what is truly necessary. God, cut the fluff, I pray, oh Lord. Cut the fodder, I pray, oh God. Help us, God, get to, to the bare bone basics of what is essential, what needs to be primary when it is all over, when it's said and done, when I go to the grave or the rapture comes. Lord, there is just a short list of what really matters. There is just a short list of what is really important, oh God. Oh, I can hardly wait to see Jesus. I can hardly wait to see him. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus. Maranatha. Oh, come, Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Hallelujah. I love him. I love him. I love him. You so great, so kind, so grand. I worship you. Father, ye la bataye abataye abasam di oboho shondola mahaya. Jesus, you're good. Jesus, you're good, good, good. We long for you. Our soul aches for you. Our soul, Lord, desires you today. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and ask them. They don't have to respond, but just ask them, are you ready for the Lord to come back? Are you ready for the Lord to come back? It should be a good question we ask ourselves every day when we look in the mirror. Are you ready for the Lord to come back? Amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah. Thank you today for being attentive. Amen. The word of the Lord. Uh, this morning. Hallelujah. We're going to dismiss here today with prayer again. I caution you. Be cautious as you exit. If the sun has come out and started to melt a little bit of anything, there'll probably be a little water on top of that ice, okay? And so be cautious concerning that. You need help out to the vehicle. I know we have people here that would not mind to help you to your vehicle, amen, here today. Amen, come back tonight, amen, at 6 o'clock. We're having service here. A member board of trustees will try to meet over here in, in room number 3, and I just want to share some quotes and things with you, amen, if you can do that here after service. Amen, God bless you today. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord, and we will see you back here this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Shake each other's hands. Be friendly with one another. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.